0: Big Tony, big tone. We're alive, brother. And we're live and we're alive. Thank God. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm
1: doing good, man. I have recently gotten super into matcha. The tea? Yeah. Nice. I'm, just, I'm having wow. like a, a latte every morning. It's pretty Do you make incredible. it yourself? Uh, well, I mean, there's like the, the matcha powder,
0: but the latte yeah, powder, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you make so you get the matcha powder. How do you make the the whole latte?
1: So first, you have to strain the powder. Uh, okay, clumping is undesirable.
0: Mm. So you get like mm. a
1: little strainer, you push it through, and then you put a little bit of hot water in and mix it, mm-hmm. um, so it dilutes. And then you put in the I just microwave it, but the warm milk. Yeah. Uh, well, first you microwave uh, or you steam the milk. Right. And I have one of those little like hand, what are those called? It's Like it's like an aerator, uh, a milk frother.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. You can get them for like ten bucks, and you know you just aerate it, froth it, and then pour it over, and voila, matcha latte.
0: How would you get into this this whole matcha thing? Did you like it was it, see it, it was it on a buddy Instagram? of mine? Oh god, okay. no, it
1: was a buddy of mine, and he got like the really nice stuff from Japan. And I came over one day and he was just like, hold on. He, he's the guy that has like the espresso machine, but then he had to get a better espresso machine. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He has like the $700 espresso machine, like the whole like industrial size.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was like $700. That's not going to cut it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Apparently you can spend as much as you want to on espresso machines.
0: Dude, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on espresso machines. There was a, a time where like, I was looking at one this, I was like in a real, like when I had my coffee company and all that stuff, I was like, man, I, I really want to get a super nice one. It was when I was living in New York and I'm really glad that it was when I was living in New York because our apartment was the size of a shoebox, <laughs> And so like, the super nice ones are often huge, mm-hmm. and so it's like, no, I just can't fit this in my apartment. And that saved me a lot of money. It's like <laughs> half of your apartment, <laughs> it's an espresso machine. Yes, yeah, exactly. It was like legit. My apartment was it was about four hundred seventy five square feet, and I was like, okay, I I can't fit this massive espresso machine in here so well, good man are are you liking how the matcha makes you feel are you just like oh nice okay you're noticing a difference
1: so it's the ritual and the i like the flavor i like the taste um i actually i I suspect some of what i like about it is actually just drinking frothy warm milk in the morning yeah it's delicious yeah it's like getting those (laughs) nice and cozy (laughs) those nice fats and proteins like right first thing i think it's actually Half of it. But yeah, I feel less jittery, just more. Good. But I do feel like ready to rock. So. Wow. Yeah. Tony's feeling ready to
0: rock. Let's go. And, you know, it's that like cold weather, dark. Get that like warm, milky, frothy. Like that's a great, comfortable way to start the day. I'm smiling. So, dude.
1: Uh, Happy Hanukkah.
0: Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Happy Hanukkah.
1: How's it going?
0: <laughs> it's good. I think I think tonight's the seventh night, mm-hmm. so it's good. My mom was here for the first six. She left yesterday early afternoon. She was in the best mood ever to be able to spend a week with her granddaughter. Yeah. So that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it was super fun. It was good, and yeah, man, it's going well. You know, Hanukkah it's a it's a really great holiday. A lot of people. I even a lot of Jewish people I don't think really understand the meaning behind it but um basically it's a holiday that is celebrating against all odds Jews fighting for their right to live in Israel which now more than ever is it could not be more relevant to exactly like this moment in time mm-hmm. which is also just ironic because a lot of people say that Jews don't have a right to live in Israel Meanwhile, this holiday, which is thousands of years old, is also about Jews fighting for the right to live in Israel. And people are saying that this this conflict is only 75 years old. Meanwhile, this holiday is us celebrating our fight to live in Israel thousands and thousands of years ago. So it's it's very relevant right now and it's meaningful. And so, yeah, it's, it's a great holiday. It has, uh, throughout the years, become almost like a... It's become more Christmassy, especially in America. Mm. It's not a Christmassy type holiday. It's right. not like a meant to have a lot of gifts and and all that. It's more like it's a it's a spiritual, meaningful holiday more than anything. But over the years, it's, it's become more of that. So it, it's nice to live in a, a moment in time, which we can really appreciate Hanukkah for what it is.
1: I think I saw somewhere that Hanukkah is more popular in the U.S., in the Jewish community than in other places. Is that something that you... Like in terms I of like
0: how important the holiday is. You know, I would say so. I would say it's in the U.S. And I don't know about the U.K. or anything. I would imagine it might be similar in the U.K. I'm not sure. But in the U.S. it's it's become more celebrated as a Christmassy type holiday because it's during that same holiday mm-hmm. season. It's still it's an important holiday. But I think the way that it's been celebrated has transitioned into more of like let's make this like Christmas because and I think a lot of what happened is and this is just my thoughts without really much any research to back it up but I would imagine that as kids are going to school and kids are celebrating Christmas, then the Jewish kids are like, well, I want a Christmas. And so then the parents are like, well, how can I give my kids something so they don't feel left out? And then Hanukkah, well, this is the perfect time to do it because Hanukkah is around the same time. And I think that's probably how it developed into a bit more of a Christmassy type holiday or people celebrating it as though it's like Christmas. But, you know, in Israel and in Jewish communities, it's a very, very, very uh, widely celebrated holiday. They just celebrate it a little bit differently. In Israel, one of my favorite parts about it is like, you can't go five feet without people giving you free donuts. And Baker is just like standing outside giving you free pastries. And they have these donuts called sufganiyot. And it's a great, great holiday, but it's not it's not Christmas. And mm-hmm. so it's. I think it has become that here in the States for sure. Yeah. What kid doesn't want? presents especially when all the friends are getting exactly and i remember as a kid like i felt left out for sure Mm -hmm. and and my mom was very much just like i didn't like it when i was a kid but now i appreciate it she was like we don't celebrate christmas it's like and so i like my i remember my brother was like can we get a hanukkah bush (laughs) <laughs> and it was like that's just like like people made it up as a way like for jewish people to feel not left out you know they have a christmas tree and and then someone made up a hanukkah bush and my mom was like that's not part of Hanukkah. That's We don't celebrate that. And yeah. so my mom was like pretty strict with like, this is what we celebrate. And like what they celebrate is wonderful and we can support it. And that's fine, but that's not what we do. We need to keep our traditions. And so uh, I remember feeling really left out as a kid. I even asked, I'll never forget. I asked if I could get a cross necklace when I was a little kid before I really knew what it was. My mm-hmm. mom was like, that's, you can get a star of David if you like, but you don't, you're not going to wear a cross. I sort of thought that it was just like a, style thing i didn't Mm -hmm. realize that it was as much of a there was religious meaning behind it but um as a kid it's it's easy to not really understand what's going on and just want to do what everyone else is doing so yeah it's changed culturally i think i do
1: feel like there was a period of time in the 90s where like all the bad boys had crosses you know a
0: hundred percent dude (laughs) everybody had like all like the bad boys had cross for sure. For sure. And I was like, man, I want crosses and a wife. beater. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. And my mom wouldn't let me get the wife beater tank top just because she didn't like the name. She was like, you're not wearing that. (laughs) Like, no, like you can wear tank tops, but you're not wearing that one because of what it's called. I was like, man, she's just not letting me like be cool at all. No crosses, no wife, none of that. (laughs) What do we got awesome, today, Tony? Man.
1: It's uh, Q&A day.
0: Q&A day. Let's do it.
1: So the first question is from Antigua Productions. And he says, is still a reputable source for
0: supplements? Oh, geez. I'm going to face a real like, I don't want to face a lawsuit here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to be very careful with my words. Do you want me to bleep the, the name? Um, yeah, let's like, do that. Let's, bleep, let's, yeah, let's funny. do that. We'll, we'll bleep the name. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. So basically what this person is asking is are, it, it could be the, the one that you bleeped out. It could be any other, think any mainstream supplement store that you see when you're on the highway or whatever, like on the side of the road, you see these like main, very popular supplement stores. Are they reputable? Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they're reputable. If I if I'm really trying to figure, like, just because they're not reputable, doesn't mean they don't have some products that are worthwhile. But the way I'm looking at it from a, are they reputable? Is are they being honest with all of their supplements, or even with the majority of their supplements? And the answer is a, a flat out no. The vast majority, and this is not hyperbole, I would say probably. of the supplements in their stores have, to say the least, overstated claims, exaggerated claims. 94% of the supplements in there are unnecessary, exaggerated in their claims. The reality is you can get all the supplements that you that are like really beneficial for you from like Amazon. And I obviously, I like Legion Athletics. We'll put the link in the description for if you want to get 20% off your first order. I like Legion. I've used them for years. They are more expensive than what you would get on something like an Amazon or a, a CVS, for example. All of like the fat burners and the carb blockers and like the... The stuff that they, like the the testosterone boosters, which by the way, don't boost your testosterone, all the ones that they have in the glass case in the, in the back of the store that you have to get a, a worker there to unlock. That number one, that's just sales. I remember as a kid going into these stores and being like, oh man, these are in the glass case in the back of the store. These must be super powerful. It's just a smart way to get you to think that they are worth spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on something that was made for pennies that doesn't do anything. So No, I don't think they're reputable. The vast majority of like, you only need a handful of supplements and we could quickly go over those. I think vitamin D, vitamin D3, everyone should be taking that every day unless you're, unless you're getting at least 20 minutes of direct sunlight. But now at least here in the the United States and in the United Kingdom and, and this side of the world, it's, uh, you're not getting as much sun, most of us. So you should be taking vitamin D3 every day and say 2000 IUs, I would say, Let's see. What else do I think is is I think vitamin D3 is is really the only one that is probably essential. That's the one that and when I say essential I'm thinking most people are are deficient in that like legitimately and it has so many hormonal benefits to make sure you're getting it, uh mental benefits, psychological benefits, all of that. So, I would say vitamin D3 is really the only one that is probably essential. Obviously i have a question about, about, about that it. one. Yeah.
1: I think I read somewhere that it's hard to absorb in like a pill form. Do you know anything about that?
0: No, you can, you can absolutely absorb it in a pill. I just try and have it with some type of uh of fat. So I, I try okay. and take it with, with some type of a meal. So usually what I'll do is cause I also take fish oil and I get my fish oil from Legion mainly because Legion it's more expensive, but They have the, the ratio is on point up to date with scientific literature, which you will not find in CVS or on Amazon. Like it's very hard to find a good ratio and it's very high quality. So that's why I like Legion's fish oil. And even though it's more expensive, you're actually getting the benefits that you're paying for, as opposed to the other ones you're paying for it and you're paying less, but you're not getting the benefits. So I'll take my vitamin D3 with my fish oil. With that being said, I'm not saying fish oil is essential for many reasons, not least of which you can get that in fish. Like if you have fatty fish, for example, like I have yeah. salmon usually at least two to three times a week. So if you're eating fatty fish on a regular basis, you don't need it. So I, I don't say that fish oil is essential, but I would say most people would probably benefit from having it. So as long as you take vitamin D3 in pill form with a fat, then it will be absorbed pretty uh, readily. It'll be readily available. That's the issue. If you, if you take it on an empty stomach or any of that, that's probably not the best choice in terms of having vitamin D. Cool. So there goes another one fish oil which so I would say vitamin D3 is the only like one that I think people should definitively be taking unless like your doctor says otherwise obviously obviously speak with your doctor before you start taking any supplements but most people would do well to be taking vitamin D3 fish oil I think is great protein powders are a wonderful uh thing that you can obviously get at any of these supplement stores Most of them there are overpriced. Again, I like Legion because it's super, super high quality. They also taste amazing. Legions, the flavors taste incredible, but they're also very high quality. And The ones from Legion are relatively low calorie, very high protein, and they don't really add a lot to your day in terms of, they don't remove a lot of calories from your day, which is super helpful. (sighs) Let's see. I know people are going to ask about creatine. We could talk about creatine. I am very much of the stance that it's overrated. (laughs) I'm in the minority at this point on this one. I know a lot of people are like talking about how important creatine is and how beneficial it is. And when I say it's overrated, I'm not saying that it doesn't have benefits. There are absolutely benefits from it. It can absolutely impact your maximal strength output, which can also lead to potentially more uh, strength and muscle gain and there are more there's more and more research coming out about the neuroprotective benefits of it in terms of your ability to uh, to help prevent against things like alzheimers and things like that but when i say this it when you say it like that it sounds like this is an amazing thing i need to be taking it it can increase my strength increase my muscle it can improve my my mental health over the long term it sounds amazing but when we're looking at it from the perspective of how much like how much can it really help how much strength how much muscle how much can it prevent against something like alzheimer's as of right now very small amounts very small and so i'll give you an example creatine when people hear it can increase your strength and muscle let's talk about strength for a second when when people hear it's going to increase your strength people think oh my god i'm going to take my bench press from like 135 to 225 in a couple of weeks. No, that's, it's not how it works. If you're bench pressing 135 for five, once you start taking creatine, your stores are saturated, you might be able to get 135 for six, maybe seven, like maybe. And that's a leap. That's a real leap. It's, it's just maybe another rep or another two reps, which then that extra rep at that intensity can lead to extra muscle growth. Which, if we're talking about how much muscle you can add per year, if you're adding generously 12 pounds of muscle in a year or so, maybe you're adding an extra, I don't know, quarter of a pound at most from taking creatine that whole year. And that's at most. That's like super generous. It's not like... That's only yeah. if you're doing the work, right? Exactly. Like that
1: one rep that one day isn't going to change the trajectory of your correct strength progression. But adding a rep to each workout, yes. consistent three times a week, 52 weeks a year, correct. You know, like five years later, maybe that difference has compounded, right?
0: Correct. Exactly. And taking creatine that whole time. Now, what a lot of people don't discuss about creatine, especially a creatine monohydrate, which is usually the the least expensive option, very effective, but the least expensive option, it can often hold on to more water. So let's say it can can make you feel bloated a little bit. So let's say, for example, I have someone who is uh, wanting to lose body fat. And they also want to increase their strength and that person is let I'll give you a different example. Let's say I'm I'm working with a, an athlete who is very focused on their weight because they need to weigh something for a given sport. They're a weight controlled athlete, could be a wrestler, uh it might even be like a rower, for example. Rowers need to keep their weights down. There's a uh, many different people who who might have to focus on their weight for their sport and and have to weigh in. If they're close to their weight and like they're a little bit struggling, I'm not going to have them on creatine, especially right. creatine monohydrate, because that could hold on to more water, which could make the scale way more. It's not fat, it's just water retention. So it's not like it's preventing them from losing fat, but the scale will be heavier and mm. you might feel a little bit bloated with creatine monohydrate. Now you could take a little bit more of an expensive creatine, micronized creatine, which would likely... Not hold on to that water, and st- a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal effect, and, and very uh, equally as effective as, as monohydrate. It's just you don't really have the uh, the bloating effect, so that could be very helpful. Also, monohydrate, many people get stomach upset with it. I know when I used to take it when I was younger, my I would get a little bit nauseous when I took it, but when I switched mm. to micronized, I, I didn't get that nausea. But again, it's a little bit more expensive, interesting. So, creatine it can help do all these things. And let's actually talk about the neuroprotective benefits. This is what I see a lot of people talking about right now on social media because they're running out of content ideas and they they want to jump on this <laughs> and, and, and like really like, oh yeah, like creatine, neuroprotective, da da it's like sounds really smart when you say it. You know what like really helps, gives you neuroprotective benefits is like reading a book, like learning a new skill, interacting with people, having a community of people. These are the things that research has shown us for years and years and years. These have the greatest protective benefits on our age is learning continuously, strength training, moving, exercising, having a community, engaging in in debate. These are the things that really help you with your neuroprotective benefits. Taking creatine, like you said, with, with strength training, you have to do the work. Taking creatine won't do it alone. It won't build strength or muscle alone. Taking creatine won't just like magically help your brain by itself. You still have to do the work. You Mm -hmm. still have to make sure you have, if you don't have a community of people around you, if you, if you aren't continuously trying to learn and educate yourself, take all the creatine you want, you're, you're probably not going to have the benefits you want from a neuroprotective mechanism. So that's why I've gone like, so anti creatine is because I'm like almost trying to balance out the industry a little bit. The industry has gone so pro, 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 pro creatine. And I'm like, all right, let's Let's drop back a little bit. If you want to take it, great. I've taken it in the past. That's fine. But like, let's not exaggerate the claims. And that's what a lot of these supplement companies are doing. It's what a lot of these stores are doing. It's what a lot of people on social media are doing. So yeah, I I, uh, I would not say creatine is essential at all. It's definitely, it works and it's beneficial, but it's not something that uh you need to be taking or you should feel bad about not taking. On the other side of that, I know a lot of, there are a lot of parents who get worried like, oh, my, my son wants to take creatine. Is that safe? It's like, it's, yeah, it's very safe. It's very safe if your son wants to take creatine or your daughter wants to take creatine. It's totally fine. It, it's not a steroid. It's not dangerous. You can get it naturally from the foods that you eat. But uh, I know my mom was worried yeah. when I was a kid. She wouldn't let me have it. But you know, it's it's up to you. Story. You're the parent. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> so yeah, vitamin D3, I would say it's essential. But again, talk to your doctor before you do anything. Fish oil, I'd say it's very, very good. Protein powders are great. Someone literally just asked me today, I'll, I'll read this out. I was read, I was in my DMs earlier today and uh, this woman asked me, she said, Iron Iris, she said, is it okay to drink a protein shake even if you didn't lift? A friend of mine told me that you should only take protein after you lift. You don't even you don't have to take it after your other workouts. And I said, you can have a protein shake whenever you want. Tell your friend that's like saying you can only have chicken after you lift. Protein is protein. You can have it whenever you'd like. And... um, A lot of people think protein powders are special or unique or have this magical property around them that magically help with muscle growth or strength improvements. It's just protein. It's just like chicken, just like fish, just like turkey, just like tuna, just like eggs. It's protein. It's a convenient way to get your protein in. So you can have it whenever you want. It's another way of trying to hit your protein intake for the day, regardless of whenever you have it.
1: I remember, and and I definitely bought into this, where they would market whey protein as fast absorbing and mm-hmm. casein as slow absorbing. And that's so you true. You have the whey after the workout and the casein before you go to bed. <laughs> and the idea was you'd be metabolizing the protein in more optimal windows. Um, yeah. over a Longer duration of time, which, you know, but does it, it is actually true.
0: They move the needle on. That's you know, the question. Yeah, that's. Yeah. And, and no, it doesn't. So whey is faster. I believe whey is digested at about ten grams per hour, and casein is digested closer to like two to three grams per hour. And so, back in my day, Dad speak. (laughs) Back when I was like in high school, that was marketed as like that was marketed as. You want whey immediately before and after you work out because you digest more, you digest it more quickly. So you get those amino acids more quickly and casein you'd have at night. So you'd have a steady stream of amino acids all throughout the night. When the reality is that was a, a short-sighted way of looking at it, that's not how, how it works. Like you're you're not gonna have better strength or muscle gains from from having that as long as your total daily protein intake is met. Total daily protein intake is the most important factor here. What I will say is, I do think there is benefit to having a slower digesting protein before bed and having a faster digesting protein before and immediately after your workout. And I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with muscle gain. It has nothing to do with strength gain. It has everything to do with uh, satiety and especially when you're trying to lose weight. So often when you're in a calorie deficit, you'll get a little bit more hungry. So having a slower digesting protein before you go to bed Can be helpful because it will help fill you up more slower a slower digesting protein like a casein style of protein will fill you up more throughout the night now this isn't just in a protein powder other slower digesting proteins are cottage cheese eggs these are slower digesting proteins and or greek yogurt for example when i'm in a uh, a fat loss phase and a calorie deficit i will regularly have one of these before i go to bed so that I fill up more. And so I don't like wake up starving. And so I'm not in the middle of the night, really, really hungry. Whereas before and after a workout, I'll have a faster digesting protein because I don't want to be really full during my workout. I don't want to be during my, in my workout, like going really hard and be like, Oh, like just, just feeling stuffed. So I, I have a faster digesting, a whey style protein before my workout so that I'm not, I'm not like feeling sluggish and I don't have a bowl of stomach. So it's more of a practical benefit as opposed mm-hmm. to a, you're going to have infinitely better muscle and strength gains as a result of it. Yeah. Awesome. And this actually segues
1: perfectly into another question. And this is from Alyssa May Here is a and a question for the inner circle. Smiley face. Let's go. I truly hate being hangry during a calorie deficit mm. over the days and weeks. I get lower and lower tolerance to feeling hungry. Any suggestions on how to curb that? Not just mentally tell yourself to get over it, laugh out loud.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You can't mentally will yourself out of being super hungry. You You can try. You can try and white knuckle it. And some people might be able to white knuckle it for an hour. Some people might be able to white knuckle it for weeks and months. After a certain point, you will break. Mm. You will break. There's no way around it. And for the, when I say the people who can white knuckle it for weeks and months, we can look at bodybuilders and physique competitors as an example. They white knuckle it for weeks and months at a time. They'll, you know, they maybe have a 16 week prep phase where they are in a severe, severe, severe calorie deficit. I've seen people who compete who are eating 800 calories a day for 16 weeks while doing hours of cardio and they're white knuckling it. And then They finish and they compete. And then right after they binge and they gain 25 pounds in two days. And that's not hyperbole. That's it's not an exaggeration. That's real. And they have horrible disordered relationships with food uh, and they'll stay off social media and they won't post pictures of themselves when they're really bloated and they've gained a lot of weight because they feel terrible. But anyway, you cannot and you should not try to white knuckle your hunger. So there's there's a couple things to consider here. The first one is this if you are at a point in which you're white knuckling your hunger and like you're super, super, super hungry, there are two main reasons for this. The first main reason is your calories are too low. That's number one. If your calories are way too low because you're trying to lose weight way too quickly, then you're going to be way hungrier than you need to be. In which case you need to increase your calories. And we can talk about that in a second. I'll go more in detail on that in a second. The other potential reason. Often it's not one or the other. Maybe it's it's a little bit of both. But the other reason is your food quality is not what it needs to be. And maybe you need some strategies on which foods will fill you up more for fewer calories. And I'll even give an example. What we could use avocado or peanut butter, both traditionally seen as very healthy foods, and they are, they're great foods. Avocado and peanut butter, are are great foods, but they're very easy to overeat. They have a lot of calories for a very small amount. And if you get a significant portion of calories from them, you're not going to be full. You're going to be super hungry very, very quickly because you just got a lot of calories in a very small amount of volume. And so you need to figure out, okay, where can I get my calories at appropriately? In order to make sure I'm eating enough, not too little to the point where I'm starving, but not too much to where I'm not in a deficit. And then also figure out what foods can I eat to keep me full for the longest period of time. So in terms of calories, if you're in the inner circle, then we do that for you. You know what your calories are. I think probably by the time this episode comes out, the new app should be live. The brand new app should be live. So when you join the inner circle, we're recording this in December. So it should be February or so by the time this comes out, which means the new app should be live. When you join the inner circle, you sign up. And as you go through the the process, we will tell you exactly how many calories you should eat for fat loss. We'll tell you, it'll be on the home screen of your app. We'll tell you how many calories, how much protein, tell you how much fiber to get every day, all of that. If you don't want to join the inner circle, then go to the link in the description and uh, use my free calorie calculator. We'll put that there. And my free calorie calculator will tell you that as well. You can use either one. But if you're in the inner circle, you have it, it's on the front of your app, it's on your home screen, all of that. If you just want to use my free calorie calculator, you can do that. It'll be in the description. And one thing that I've noticed is I'll tell people how many calories they should be eating and they'll still eat less than that. That's a bad fucking idea. And usually what will happen is people will be like, oh, that seemed like it was too much. And they'll say like, well, in the past, I've only been able to like, let's say my calorie calculator says you can have 1800 calories a day. And then you reduce it to 1,400 calories. I'm like, well, why'd you do that? And you say, well, in the past, I've only been able to lose weight on 1,400 calories. No, that's not true. And I'll tell you why that's not true. That's not true because you, in the past, you've tried to eat as little as you could so that you could lose weight as quickly as you could. I'm trying to get you to eat as much as you can so you can lose weight as sustainably as you can. And when that happens, you will lose weight more slowly. You won't lose it as quickly as you did in the past. You won't lose it as quickly as when you were having 1,400 calories. It might not happen on a weekly basis as quickly as you'd like. That doesn't mean you need to reduce your calories further. It doesn't mean that it's not working. It just means it's going more slowly. And this is where people really trip themselves up. Look at the calories that I'm telling you to eat, and I promise you that those will be sufficient to help you lose weight in a sustainable way. If you're eating less than what I'm telling you, then you're not following the program. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, increase your calories to what I'm telling you. You can, you can eat more than probably what you think you can, and you need to do it consistently. And if you only do it for three days or for a week or for three weeks before you call it quits, good fucking luck doing anything in life. If you do it for three weeks, then you call it quits. Like you didn't do it. Three weeks is nothing. It's, it's nothing. When I was working with one-on-one clients, one of the first things I would tell them, I would say, you are not allowed to complain about your weight for the first 30 days. Like I don't care what happens if your weight goes up, if it goes down, I don't care what happens for the first 30 days because we compare your weight month to month. We compare June 1 to July 1, July 1 to August 1, June 2nd to July 2nd, July 2nd to August 2nd. So if you're complaining about it in the first 30 days, we don't even have enough data to compare yet. Yeah. So I would like you if you have not done it consistently for at least four weeks, you have no right to be complaining. You have no you you need to get your consistency down first.
1: I have your uh, scale charts. The squigglies yeah, yeah. with the whoosh just like mm. seared into my mind, and that's just what good. I'm picturing as you say that. Yeah. Oh, uh, did we
0: <laughs> did we lose connection? We, we broke we we broke up for a second, but we're good now. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you got those seared into your mind. That I'm glad. Yeah. That was an unexpected benefit of me doing that. I think my first mini cut that I did was publicly that I did. I think it was either 2018 or 2019, and I titled it "Just Another Muggle."
1: Nice.
0: And every day I would hashtag "Just Another Muggle" because I wanted to. I was, I'm just another muggle. I'm just another like person just like you, and I'm going to be able to lose weight and show you how to do it. And that was the biggest surprise. It was how shocked people were that my weight fluctuated, that I would plateau for a week or two and then have a big whoosh. So, So that's number one. Let's make sure that you're eating enough calories. Number two is your quality of food and not even necessarily just quality, but also type of food. A lot of people can be eating very high quality, but they're they're not getting enough volume with their food. They're not filling up. They're not eating enough very voluminous foods that are going to fill them up more. So, for example, this is why I tell people to have a big salad every day. Mm. Like it's the easiest way to have a big bowl of vegetables with maybe some protein on it. Uh, this is why my wife made her big ass salad recipe guide that's in the inner circle. It's also why. Oh. Not to mention, this is why she literally, as of just like a couple of weeks ago, she published her mini cut recipe guide. I have nice. a bunch of recipes that I eat every time I'm in a mini cut that she will make for me. Some are snacks and some are meals. They're mm-hmm. low calorie, high protein, high fiber meal options that are quick and easy to make. And if you ever see me on my stories, posting my meals, they're the ones that my wife made. So she made an entire recipe guide and that and the big ass salad guide are in the inner circle. Mm-hmm. And they're simple, easy to make very voluminous meals that will keep you full while you're in a calorie deficit. And so that's why we. I have a big salad every day, whether I'm in a dieting phase or not. I would say uh, for people like, what if I don't like salads? Well, try my wife's salads. They're really freaking good and they're easy to make. Number two is then, I don't know, have have a stir fry. Like put a bunch of vegetables in a frying pan and stir fry them up. I don't give a shit how you eat your vegetables. I don't care if they're cooked. I don't care if they're raw. I don't care if you use salad dressing or not. Just get a big bowl of vegetables and fucking eat them every day. It's not outrageous to say that. It's just not, especially if we're thinking about historically with humans. It's only a very brief period of time in which we haven't been eating a lot of vegetables, right? It's like for all of human history, hunter gatherers, we would have vegetables all the time. Now it's like, yeah, you have chips in your pantry. I understand they taste better and they're more readily available. And you have to put a little bit of effort into making a salad, but like, come on, if you want to get great results, you got to put a little bit of effort into it. So, or even now they have bagged bagged salad. It's in a bag. It's ready to (laughs) fucking go. Come on. And they taste very good. Sometimes that's the base for the salad that my wife, that's the, the base that my wife used last night when she was making me a salad. It was like, Just got it out. Cut up some chicken. Put it on top. Use half the dressing in the bag, and that was it. So let's see what else. Staying hydrated is super important in terms of being able to stay full. If you're not hydrated, you're you're going to be more hungry. Cue Tony drinking some water as soon as I say that. (laughs) You hear the gulp. Don't don't edit that gulp out. That was (laughs) Uh, staying hydrated is super important. So a lot of vegetables. Staying hydrated. A lot of protein protein is obviously super important. And we've beaten that drum for years. Fiber, I think is the drum that has not been beaten enough. And I've been trying to beat it more and more and more the last couple of years, but fiber is, is just absolutely essential. And I think that the combination of high protein, high fiber, that's the King combination right there. That's the platinum level combination of staying full in a calorie deficit, high protein, high fiber, every meal that I have fiber and protein that's the most important thing that you can do. And protein, I think the majority of the fitness industry really emphasizes protein and it's great, but I think you're missing half the equation. And I think a lot of people, especially this is where the carnivore route has gone, where people are like, yeah, just have a steak or whatever it is. It's like, what about the fiber? Yes. Protein fills you up, but fiber fills you up just as much. So if we can have both of them in one meal, You'll actually slow digestion even more. You'll get more volume into your stomach and you'll probably stay full for much longer. This is where slower digesting proteins come into play, casein proteins. One of the recipes my my wife put in the recipe uh, mini cut guide is her uh, protein pudding, which is done using casein protein. It's amazing. Put some chocolate chips on top. It's amazing. It's just, it's these little things that I think make the biggest difference. And I could talk about... I could come up with a whole list of foods, like these are more filling and all of that. But I think that it's the principles that are the most important of high protein, high fiber vegetables, slower digesting proteins on a consistent basis, staying hydrated. The other thing I'll say is getting good sleep. If you aren't getting good sleep, you're going to be way more hungry. High quality fats. These are really important. Here's a real real game changer. Here's a real uh, trick. So we talk about protein and fiber, but fat is also very, very filling. And so if we can get all three in a meal, it's it's like the ultimate. So I'll have salmon, which is protein and fat. It's a super high quality fat. Salmon is my protein and fat. And I'll have vegetables for my fiber. That's the ultimate meal right there. And I'll have tomatoes. Tomatoes are, are super low calorie, very, very filling, ha- have a lot of volume to it. So I'll often take a, a bagged salad or a salad, cut up tomatoes. I'll have cherry tomatoes. Mushrooms are also super filling mushrooms are like airy and they actually fill you up a lot. So I'll take mushrooms and tomatoes on a big salad with salmon. It's like, you can't really beat that. That's like the ultimate way to stay full on, on fewer calories. Yeah.
1: I think I, I sort of accidentally fell upon this. I call it my bachelor cooking. And it's basically like I could eat the same thing over and over again. Yes. Just vary certain pieces of it uh, when I lived alone. So Basically, I would have a protein, like either like steak or ground beef or bison or lamb or salmon. Salmon was a favorite. Mm -hmm. Some type of vegetables like spinach or green beans or I would just cycle through different things, but it was the same meal essentially. And then wild rice.
0: Oh, I like that. That's perfect.
1: Yeah. And for me, that was just like when I felt best. I remember for a while I was just doing the protein and the vegetables. Yeah. And it was cool, but like it just didn't quite, I didn't quite feel as good. Something about adding the rice in, just like I could eat that same meal three times a day forever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy. It's super easy to make. I'm not like a good cook. It's just
0: <laughs> that you just hit on two other really important points, which is if we look at the research, the most successful dieters, the people who m- not just lose weight, but maintain it for years and years and years, they, Eat the same things on a regular basis. And it's usually things that are easy to put together. It's like, it's the people who eat very similar things on a very regular basis. It's much harder to know how many calories you're eating if you're eating something different every day. So, eating the same thing or consistently similar things over and over and over again, and they should be pretty easy to make. It's not fun. It's not exciting. It's not extravagant. And it doesn't mean you can't go out to dinners and you can't have foods you don't normally eat, but 80% of the meals, yeah, should be basically the same over and over and over again. And what we have is we have a, like a rotation of like exactly. five to seven meals that we have over and over and over again. And people in the inner circle know I have shakshuka, I have salmon, salads, like we have very similar things over and over and over again. And basically what the mini cut recipe guide is, is that rotation and that plus the salad recipe guide those are the rotation of meals that we have over and over and over and over again and the difference between when i'm trying to lose fat versus when i'm more in maintenance throughout the year is when i'm in a fat loss phase the portions are slightly smaller when i'm not in a fat loss phase i eat the same thing just slightly mm-hmm. bigger portions that's that's mm-hmm. the only difference that's really it it's uh and and that's another big issue that people have is a mistake that they make is they say these are my fat loss foods And then everything else is my not fat loss foods. It's like when you have just fat loss foods and then you change how you eat when you're not in a fat loss phase, that's when you end up regaining everything because you have foods that are off limits when you're in a fat loss phase. Nothing is off limits. There should be nothing that you're not allowed to have. You should have just the foods that you like to eat and then change the quantity based on whether you're trying to lose weight, gain weight, stay the same, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. With attention to hitting all of the points that you just laid out for us so nicely. Bing, bang, boom, brother. Bang, bang, boom. So I love that there's there's sort of a flow to this episode, but I've got another question that I think rolls nicely, if I can find it. Ah, so this is from PLS03, and she says... I've gotten down to my goal weight after losing 33 plus kilograms. Wow. And track my. That's incredible. Yeah. And tracking my consistency, which I aim for around 80%. Now that I'm practicing staying in momentum, how do you calculate momentum calories if I'm not 100% consistent each and every week? For example, I usually have one day off, off track, no tracking once a week. Do I just ignore this one day per week and work out my momentum calories using the remaining days as a guide for my calories and average weight, or do I need to be 100% consistent while I ascertain my momentum
0: calories? First and foremost, you said she said she lost 33 kilograms? 33 plus kilograms. So for everyone who doesn't use kilograms, that's 72.6 pounds, yeah. which is just absolutely incredible.
1: That's a two-pooed kettlebell.
0: That's yeah, that's unbelievable. Huge congratulations. You should be super stoked with that. As for the question regarding maintenance calories. So the cool part is a lot of people get confused about maintenance calories and a lot of people want me to calculate their maintenance calories for them. And in the inner circle, we have a a whole maintenance manual. We call it momentum because maintenance often sounds like you're just stagnating, like you're just, you're staying the same. So we change the name to momentum because it's actually where you can build momentum and it's where you have a a huge opportunity to grow. So, um, we have a momentum manual that explains how to calculate those calories if you want to do that. But one thing we also explain in that manual is that Once you've already lost the weight, you've done the hardest part in terms of now you don't need to calculate your calories. Now it's more of a guess and check. And this is what people struggle with and don't really want to hear is that since you know what your calorie deficit is, now you slowly add calories back in until you find your maintenance. And that's it. It's a, it's a guess and check and a plug and play. And for whatever it's worth, if you were working with a a good one-on-one coach, they would do the exact same thing with you. The only difference is is you would be probably weighing in and taking your measurements and sending it to them. And then they would analyze it and be like, okay, like it looks like we're still in a deficit. So we're gonna increase calories further. And then after another month, it looks like we're still in a deficit, we're gonna increase calories further. Another two weeks goes by. All right, we're getting closer, but we're still in a deficit. We'll increase calories further. And so some people would call this a reverse diet. It's I just call it you're you're guessing and checking. You're Mm -hmm. you're looking at your calories and you're not making any big jumps. So what you should do is I, I would say now, you know, your calorie deficit is because you've lost over 70 pounds, over 30 kilograms, just absolutely extraordinary. I would add about 100 to 200 calories per week to your, to your intake. And rather than trying to do that evenly, I would say, take, let's say, take your lowest calorie day or lowest cal- two low calorie days and add a hundred calories to each of those days. So, so let's say Let's say, for example, you're calorie cycling. You have high days, you have low days. And on your low days, you're having 1,500. And on your high days, you're having 1,800. Well, now on two of your low days, you can make it 1,600 calories. And that's it. And I would do that for a month. At the end of that month, if you've lost weight still, if you've continued to lose weight, Now you can add, I would say, another 200 calories to your week. So then if you had four low-calorie days, now you can take your other 1,500 days and increase those to 1,600. So now you have 1,600 days and 1,800 days. And then you do that for another month. And if at the end of that month you've still lost weight, cool. Now you can add another 200 calories to the week. And so then you can bring those 1,600 days up to 1,700 days. And so this is a slow guess-and-check formula. Some people would say instead of doing it every month, do it every two weeks. With men, I would say two weeks would be fine. With women, especially whether you're in menopause or or not, I still find those weight fluctuations still happen pretty consistently every month. So I generally find a monthly approach with women tends to be better. They also often have, uh, just because of size differences, they have a little bit less wiggle room than men do. Keep in mind, my size difference, like I'm 5'4 on a good day, 145 pounds, so I follow the monthly approach as well because I'm smaller and I don't have as much wiggle room. So these are all generalities, but like I don't even fall into that generality. So generally, if after a month you've still lost weight, increase your calories by another 100 or 200 per week. And then from there, let's say another month goes by and your weight has stayed about the same. Cool. That's right around your maintenance. And to answer the next question is, do you need to be 100% consistent? No, absolutely not. About 80% consistent, just like you've been during the fat loss phase. Now, I've explained this before, but the way that I handle my maintenance is I have my maintenance within a 10 pound range. So that's a, a relatively big range for maintenance, but I also don't like to be overly meticulous. So mm-hmm. as long as I'm somewhere between like 145 to 155, I'm in my maintenance range. So once I reach the higher end of that range, then I'll go into a calorie deficit and I'll cut back down to about 145 or so. And then I'll stay in that maintenance range again for the next year or so until I hit like 155. So some people prefer to have a smaller maintenance range. Maybe you want to have your maintenance range be closer to five pounds. That's okay. That's fine. You will need to be a little bit more meticulous with it and strict with your nutrition and more aware of what you're doing. But like, that's totally fine. So yeah, you don't need to be a hundred percent consistent. I think with anything, I think anyone that says you need to be a hundred percent consistent with something forever is just completely unrealistic. And it's begging for you to have a, a negative relationship with it. 80% is totally fine.
1: So for the sake of brevity, I had left out the last part of this question, which I feel is now germane.
0: Wow. What do you mean by germane? I've never heard it in that that context. I don't even know if I'm using it
1: correctly, but uh, germane <laughs> to the topic at hand, so relevant uh, and specific.
0: Wow, to I'm the topic Googling, germane. At hand. Oh, I don't even know what does germane mean. If you're looking for, how do you spell it? G-R-M-A-N-E,
1: uh is my guess. It's my final answer.
0: Relevant to a subject under consideration. Wow, this is not germane to our theme. Wow, dude. I just learned a new word. I love that. Thank you. It's the matcha. It's the matcha. (laughs) (laughs) It is the matcha. Oh
1: man, I need to get on the matcha train. So um, she goes on to say, at the moment, I feel like I'm on a never ending cycle of losing and gaining. When you suggest adding 300 calories. So I know you amended that in her case to 150 to 200 um, at a time per week to reach true momentum. Is this based on 100% accuracy? And if not, do you just ignore the days off track? So I think what's happening is she's currently ignoring the days off track and she feels like she's just going up and down
0: and up and down. Don't ignore the days off track. Yeah. That's a terrible strategy in life, not just for fitness and nutrition. Don't ignore the days where you go off track. It's like, I I've, I don't really understand it when people are like, oh yeah, I was tracking my calories, but then I, I don't know, I had dessert and I didn't track it. And then I just, it's like, when you don't track it, that's, you're not tracking it because you feel like you're doing something wrong. And that creates more guilt around that action, which then it, it creates a negative relationship with it. You're not doing anything wrong by going off track. You're a human. That's normal. That's part of life. Track it. And how can you expect to have accurate data if you're not tracking all the data? If you're only tracking it when you're doing it right and you're ignoring when you're off track, then you're not actually collecting good data. That is, by definition, cherry picking. This would not hold up in a in a scientific research lab. This would not hold up in in a research study. Imagine if the research studies that you were reading were only tracking quote unquote good data. Well, then all of the information you were getting from these research studies, you would be like, well, that doesn't make sense. How can I use that data? So why the fuck are you putting in so much effort into tracking your data if you're not even going to track all the data? You're, you're manipulating the data. You're skewing it for your own uh, perceived mental benefit when it's actually causing more mental harm track all of it, be honest with it, remove the emotion from it, which I know it's easier said than done, but that's what you need to do. Just track it honestly. And the more you track it honestly, the better your results are going to be and the better your relationship with food is going to be.
1: Yeah. I do wonder if maybe she's being, and this is pure speculation, but I do wonder if maybe she's being overly strict six days a week. And then Mm -hmm. being like, as a form of moderation, I'm just not going to worry about Sundays.
0: Yeah. Um, That could absolutely. Yeah, so but I was could, say,
1: do you think maybe she could have a wider range on a daily basis or something to make it easier to be tracking seven days a week, even if she's not 100% consistent seven days a
0: week? 100%, yeah. you You should be, in this case, I'm not saying everyone needs to be tracking seven days a week, but if you want to track, I would track seven days a week. And instead of, I don't like the idea of having one, off day, like one day that is like your cheat day, or one day where you just don't pay attention to it. Cause that very quickly goes down a bad path where you're like, all right, this is the one day, I'm gonna eat as much as I can. And I did that when I was younger, and I like I fell into the trap of being like this is my one cheat day. Like, and and then you just eat as much as you possibly can that whole and you feel like a fucking asshole. And then you end up over restricting for the following week until that day hits again, and it's a binge purge cycle, it's terrible. I would rather you have more regular treats throughout the week. And some days you might end up going over your calories, but cool. Let's say you end up going over your calories three days, but those three days you go over your calories by like 200 to 500 calories. Okay, cool. That's way better than going over your calories by like 3000 on one day. That's Mm. infinitely better. There's no question about it. It's the difference between going over by a couple hundred, a couple days a week versus several thousand on one day. It's (laughs) there's no comparison there. It's it's no question which one is better. And you get to enjoy yourself guilt-free throughout the week. And so you end up having a better relationship with food. You end up doing much, much better over the long term, physically, mentally, and emotionally. I would way rather you enjoy yourself throughout the week. Maybe say, yeah, if people are at work, like, hey, we're going to go have some drinks. Go out, enjoy yourself. Like, have some of the nachos. If you're going to the bar, whatever it is, like, enjoy it rather than saying no, 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 and then binging one day of the week. It's a terrible idea. Cool,
1: man. I feel like that was a, a good spread and I was pleased with how one question bled into the next. So thanks thanks everyone for the great questions.
0: Thank you for the questions. If you have any more questions, shoot them to Tony. We'll put Tony's Instagram handle in the, uh, in the description of the podcast. Give him a follow, shoot him a message encourage him to be posting more on his Instagram. He doesn't do that (laughs) at all. He (laughs) never posts. I always want to know what he's up to. And I just, I never know. So, uh, make Tony post. And if you have any questions, please shoot them to him so we can do these podcasts. Thank you for your support. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, not only leaving a five-star review, but also sharing it on your stories on Instagram, tag me, tag Tony. So we can then share it on ours helps a lot. It's getting more and more difficult to uh, get people to find the podcast. So are you sharing it, if you found it helpful, mm-hmm. if you think it will help other people, please, please, please share it on your story. Tell people to listen and, and tag me in it, tag Tony in it. It means the world to us. But uh, thank you so much. If you want to join the inner circle, get access to the new app. Link is in the show notes. Have a wonderful day. and Talk to you soon. Hey, Jordan, can you wave, can you wave to the camera?